Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Easter 2020. We are so glad to have you guys here at Brazos Fellowship. It's going to be Easter not as normal, and so let me just talk about that for a second. We wish like crazy we could all be together. And let's be honest, can we just say for a second, it's a little disappointing that we can't be. The disappointment is real, but let me tell you something also that is amazingly real, is the fact that we get to celebrate the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. And we get to do that from wherever you are, wherever you're watching this. We are so thankful that you're taking time to listen to this message. Let it be a part of your day, your Easter. And over the last several weeks, we've been looking at these final words of Jesus from the cross. We've called it famous last words. And in these words, Jesus has addressed over and over the most important spiritual issues we will ever face in this life. And there were things like forgiveness and assurance and love. And this week we're going to talk about trust. Trust is so hard at times. Especially when life is hard and your way is uncertain. The hardest thing to do sometimes is to trust. To trust God even. And we're going to look at this passage from these final moments on the cross today. From the Gospel of Luke. That I think will help shed some light on how we can deepen our trust, or maybe for some of you, start that trust for the very first time in your life. So let's take a look at the Gospel of Luke. Now, here's one thing we know about Luke that I think is beautiful, is that Luke tells us that he has based his historical account upon multiple um, eyewitnesses that have verified and corroborated the things that he recorded for us. So it's really awesome, very powerful. We're going to take a look at this together into chapter 23 of Luke, where he is recording these final moments of Jesus on the cross. And here's what he says, starting with verse 44. He says, By this time it was noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. Now let me just say, this was not a solar eclipse. This was during the time of Passover, and Passover always happened during the time of a full moon, and you cannot have a full moon and a solar eclipse at the same time. It's, the physics don't work. You can think about that later. But this was a time, and also solar eclipses don't last for three hours. This lasted for three hours. This was a very real sense of God's creation mourning over this moment, over the loss of this creator, this God who was giving his life for all mankind. This is what it goes on to say. I love this beautiful description. And suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Torn down the middle. Now this curtain that hung in the sanctuary between the Holy of Holies and the the outer room was a symbolic divide between a holy God and the sinfulness of humanity. And in this moment of Jesus' death, this curtain that was recorded to be about a foot thick of solid fabric tears directly down the middle, showing the symbol that now the way is open for people to be connected 
with a holy God through his son, Jesus Christ, that people can come to know this God. And what's even more beautiful about this moment is that now as the temple, uh, the curtain is torn, it was also symbolizing the fact that God, his spirit, his presence has left the temple. He no longer dwells in that temple. And later in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're told that now that the temple of God is our hearts. It's his people, that, his, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful and powerful moment right here. It symbolizes so much and has such deep meaning. And it goes on to say that then Jesus shouted. I want you to notice this. He shouted. This wasn't just something he murmured. He yelled it. In other words, he didn't die from weakness. He died from surrender. He gave his life in this moment. And what did he shout? Let's read it together. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And in that moment, Jesus trusts God with everything. Now, he's just doing here on the cross in his final seconds what he has been doing every single day of his life and ministry, modeling it for us and showing us. And really, he's showing us that he needed to live like this. And this is our proper response to God as well. And he, it goes on to say, and with those final words, he breathed his last. And then we have this beautiful picture of this Roman officer and the Roman officer, the centurion overseeing the execution saw what had happened and he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. Another translation says, surely this man was righteous. He was, he was without sin. He was completely innocent of any transgression against God, any kind of offense against God. And the gospel of Mark chapter 15 tells us that the centurion also says, surely this man was the son of God. Surely he was the son of God. And the gospel of Matthew includes also that there was an earthquake at that moment, shook the earth. I want to just talk about this centurion for a second. This is a remarkable moment. Here's a man that was a hardened man. He had to have seen hundreds of Roman crucifixions in his lifetime. What made this one different? He saw in this moment something that even the religious leaders, the priests and the temple guards and the Sadducees and Pharisees, none of them could see. And this guy could see that Jesus was and is the son of the living God. Look at all of the evidence. Look at everything that was happening even in his death. And it made him worship God in this moment. It was an incredible moment. And I want us to look at further evidence of how, not just in Jesus' death, showing that he was worth putting trust in and that he was, that what was happening was valid and historically accurate for us to believe today. But even after his, into his resurrection and what happened after that is truly remarkable. Because when we get into the four gospels, after this has taken place, the four gospels are really honest. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all are completely honest in the sense that they did not expect a resurrection. Nobody was waiting outside the tomb on Easter morning going, okay, here we go, 10, 9, 8, 7. There wasn't a countdown. Nobody was waiting for it. Nobody expected it. It was completely unexpected. But three days later, Jesus resurrects. And he begins to have personal appearances with all kinds of people and with the disciples. 
And we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appears to over 500 eyewitnesses at the same time. So over the next 40 days, Jesus, we we know that he walked the earth for 40 days from the time of Passover, the time of the crucifixion, until his ascension back into heaven, which again was done before a cloud of witnesses, before a group of people, eyewitnesses that witnessed this. But he made appearance after appearance after appearance after appearance with people. It's remarkable, truly amazing. And in this moment, we see these people beginning to try to figure out how do we respond, what are we to do? And 10 days after that ascension, on day 50, which has come to be known as Pentecost, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, came down to his people and empowered them to go out and to begin to proclaim the good news of Jesus' resurrection. That was their news. That was their message. That was the good news to share with everybody. And they were no longer scared. They were cowering behind closed doors, scared to death that they might get arrested too and crucified along with their Lord. But now, all of a sudden, they had the heart of lions. They went directly into the streets and began to proclaim this. It was truly remarkable. And I want you to see here today that Easter is about trusting the resurrection the resurrection. Because when we start talking about the resurrection, one of the most powerful pieces of evidence that we have, historically, sociologically, if you would, is the number of people that were eyewitnesses to all of these events that began to trust and follow and believe and put it all on the line, not by the hundreds, but by the thousands. Truly staggering. I was thinking about this question this week, and I wanted you to think about it with me. Imagine what it would take for you to entrust your entire life to someone that you just saw crucified by the most dominant world power at the moment, which at that time happened to be Rome. You had seen them killed. What would it take for you to trust them to such a degree that you're willing to put your family on the line, your future, your finances, your reputation, everything, all of it, totally on the line because what we see come out of his followers next is this fearlessness like we have never seen before crazy over the top and as their boldness began to grow ladies and gentlemen so did the power of God in terms of what how it was demonstrated before the people it was truly remarkable we have this beautiful story recorded for us in Acts chapter 3 and by the way Acts also was written by Luke Acts chapter 3 starting with verse 12 and let me just set the scene real quick this was a time, just a, short, just a few weeks after the resurrection, of the crucifixion resurrection, and Peter and John were going up to the temple in Jerusalem to pray. There were three times of the day to pray if you were a Jew. It was nine o'clock in the morning, three in the afternoon, six in the evening. This was the three o'clock prayer time. They were going up to the temple. They're walking up in what was traditionally known as Solomon's Colonnade. They're walking through this area and there are people who are begging. Every day they're out there begging. And one gentleman in particular, a crippled man who was known as a beggar, he looks at them and says, can you give me some money? Can you, can you offer me some money? And they look at him and say, money we don't have, but we can offer you this. And they prayed for him, and he was healed. He went from crippled his whole life to being able to stand up, and he could walk. So, as you might imagine, people are astonished, and they're beginning to crowd up. They're beginning to come and crowd around them, like, what has happened? What's going on over there? What did Peter and John do? Oh, my goodness. Crazy. And Peter 
takes the opportunity to make a public address. And in verse 12, here's what he says. Now think about how bold you would have to be to say these words in a public way to hundreds and maybe thousands of people that happen to be standing. Actually, we know later it was thousands of people, but thousands of people that were gathered up how, gosh, it would take such crazy courage to be able to say these words. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness that we made this man walk? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. Now get this. I mean, he's accusing them, all of them, publicly. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. Pilate had decided he wasn't going to do it, but you pushed him. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Can you imagine saying that? All right? But God raised him from the dead. We, get this, we are witnesses of this. We all were there, weren't you? I see, I know a lot of you people out there. You were there. You saw it. You know what I'm talking about. He calls them out. Now get this, just four verses later, verse 19, check this out. Here's how Peter begins to wrap up his public address, his, his little TED talk he's doing down there in Solomon's colonnade. He says this, he goes, repent then and turn to God. Repentance, we know, means an about face, a 180. It's not just turning your life away from sin and towards God. It certainly is that. But it is also an agreement with God about sin saying, that's destroying me. That's messing me up. That's becoming my pseudo-God in my life. I'm going to turn to you and trust you. And sometimes our pseudo-God is us. We're going to be our own Savior. I'm going to justify myself, make myself feel good. And, Jesus, and Peter here is saying, don't do that. Turn away from that way of life and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I love that. I hope you feel that right now. I hope you feel that love, that that is God's desire for every single person to repent, turn to God and to be able to experience the sins being wiped out and experience times of refreshing in the Lord. It's a beautiful moment, so powerful. And let's be honest right here. This was a critical moment when it could have all gone south. I mean, he puts it all on the line, shoves all of his chips to the middle of the table, if I can use a little poker analogy, okay? He pushes it all to the middle. He's betting everything on this. And think about it. If his claims of Jesus' resurrection wasn't true, don't you think out of the thousands of people there, somebody would call him out of it, on it and say, are you, are you kidding me, Peter? Man, his bones are still in the grave over there. I'll show you the evidence. All of this is false. You are liars. This is fraudulent. All of this, what you're saying, complete false. You're leading all these people astray. Everybody was silent. Nobody said a thing. And in that moment, here's what we see happen next. Chapter 4, verse 4. Here's how they respond. Many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. 
thousand. I would say that's a pretty successful afternoon Bible study. All right, that's a little pr- pretty professional, uh, pretty uh, successful uh, challenge spiritually. 5,000 men. And if we take the same measure that we do to like the feeding of the 5,000, we know that the men don't represent all the people. The men represent many families. So if even those men had a wife and a child or a couple of children, maybe there's, they make up about three or four. This might be fifteen to 20,000 people now who are followers of Jesus. I'm telling you folks, here's what we understand historically and sociologically about us as people all throughout the historical markers of time is that you do not get these kinds of sociological shifts of people buying into believing anything let alone something that could threaten their life unless there is heavy evidence to substantiate it that they could go to and say yep the tomb is empty yep I know a whole bunch of people, even if I didn't see him walking around, I know a lot, I can go to go visit many, many people that did see him resurrected, walking around. The evidence is everywhere. The evidence is undeniable. The evidence is right in your face and you've got to either believe it and trust it or you have to say, then all of these people and all of this testimony and all of this stuff is just made up. And in the end of the day, there were too many people that were willing to risk their lives, risk their lives. Over and over, we see this. The facts of the resurrection were trusted by thousands and thousands of people. And this is what sociologists, even psychologists and historians would tell you. People don't die for lies. People don't die for deceptions. And not to this degree. And it's, it's amazing to see how many people were willing to say, yes, you're connecting the dots for me. We understand, we get it, we trust. We're taking a step to fully entrust our life to this Jesus of Nazareth. It was amazing to see how that movement happened. So here's what happens. The religious leaders of Jerusalem are so angry and so frustrated with Peter and John proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. They don't have anything to say. They can't refute what they're saying. They can't argue with them. So they just throw them in prison for the night. They're angry. They want to try to shut them down. They're just trying to scare them, right? They don't really even have any grounds to be able to arrest them. And then they bring them out the next morning to question them. And in that questioning they're trying to again scare them into stop talking about Jesus stop proclaiming his resurrection stop trying to get in people's heads stop doing this and here's what they say in Acts chapter 4 starting with verse 7 let's take a look together they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them so they're putting them on the defensive they're questioning them right by what power or what name did you do this? And they're talking about that, that healing of that crippled beggar, right? So when Jesus, uh, pardon me, when Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called into account today for the, an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Think about this. Think about the kind of courage Peter would have to have to say this. Whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. 
that this man stands before you healed. I love this. Peter, in this moment, puts them on the stand. He puts them on trial. He goes from defensive to offensive. That's amazing. The courage, the boldness that he has because he believes without a doubt Jesus did absolutely resurrect from the dead. And God has given his spirit to me to be able to proclaim this message. And that's exactly what he did. And it was amazing to see every time he did, God used it. That this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Can you believe this? This is unbelievable. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were astonished at what being with Jesus had done for these men. It had transformed them. It had changed them. And that still could happen today. For you, for me, for all of us, Jesus continues to transform lives But since they could see that the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. There was nothing they could say. Not only was the man who had been healed standing before them, this evidence that was undeniable, the fact that Jesus had been resurrected, that evidence was standing before them and that was undeniable. They couldn't say anything about any of it. They were dumbfounded in that moment. And had to say, well, uh, we don't know what to say to all of this. It's incredible to see how God used this band of people who were scared to death one moment. But after they fully embraced the resurrection, the Spirit of God came down. They were fearless. They were willing to trust their entire life and trust all that they had on Jesus. Risk it all for him. No matter what, I mean, at at the threat of death. They would not shut up about the resurrection. They continued to talk about Jesus is resurrected and you can receive him. Jesus has the power to change your life. He can forgive your sins when no one else can. He is our go-between God. He's the one who brings reconciliation with God. He is the only way. He is the only way, truth and the life. It's his claim beautiful to see how over and over again and this good news continued to spread and to spread and to spread and many biblical historians would say so we've been reading from Acts chapter 4 this Acts of the Apostles by the time you get to chapter 28 at the end of the book this movement of the way or this Christian movement had grown to over 250,000 people over a quarter of a million followers at a time where you could be persecuted to death for believing such things. Think about what it would take to get you, because these are people just like you and me. What would it take to get you to believe something so firmly and so fearlessly as that? It would have to be based on substantiated evidence. And they had it, and they believed it. And what's beautiful, as we believe it, and we trust it today, I have seen it change people's life over and over and over again. I stand before you as somebody whose my life has been radically changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's given me purpose and meaning and peace. He's given me wisdom. He's given me his power and presence, things that there's no access to. There was no way of before I had Jesus. 
that over and over we see that God is willing and open and wanting to do this for people. And this is why we celebrate Easter. The resurrection makes trusting Jesus possible for us. It helps us to come to a place where we fully entrust our life to God as Jesus did. And one more time, I want to point you back to Luke chapter 23, verse 46. And let me just say, this beautiful moment was Jesus in his dying, he shows us how to live. Did you catch that? In these last moments, as Jesus' life is passing from him, he shows us how to have life pass into us, how us to embrace and to live it out, life to the full, every single day of our life. It's to come before God and to have a gut-level honest prayer of saying, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Father, I entrust into your hands. I entrust my spirit my, and your, your spirit. It's everything. What is it in your life right now that's got you afraid, that's got you worried, that's got you anxious, that's got you scared, that's got you stressed out during this time? We all have those things. Maybe you've got a multiple, you've got a list of things. You need to say, today, Father, I entrust into your hands my finances, my future, my career, my family, my sick family member, my sick loved one. I'm entrusting that to you right now. And for some of you, you need to pray the prayer that Peter encouraged all of his listeners to follow in Acts chapter 3 verse 19 when he said this. He says, repent, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And so today, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Right where you sit, or right where you're watching this, from home, wherever you are, I believe God has something special that he wants to do in your life right now. That you would be willing to say, Father, I'm coming before you right now, and I'm asking you to forgive my sins. I'm entrusting my spirit, my soul into your hands and that you have access to the Father through the Son, Jesus. You have access, you have forgiveness through Jesus. He makes it possible. It's beautiful. And in this moment, you can do that. And for some of you, maybe you have already done that somewhere in the past, but today is the day that you need to say, you know what, but I've been struggling with something else. There's something else that's been heavy on me that I have struggled to entrust to the Lord and it's been maybe one of the things that I talked about. Maybe it's finances, it's your future, it's your family, it's something. And I just want to encourage you today, would you be willing to trust God right now to just say, Lord, I'm so tired of trying to be my own savior. I can't do it, I'm horrible. I, I can't pull it off, I can't do it. I need your help, I trust you right now. And here's the application prayer I'm asking you to pray with me. It's simply saying, Jesus into your hands, I entrust my spirit right now. I trust you with all that I am facing and whatever my future holds. I repent and turn to God so that my sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come in the Lord. So you may be at that point where you need to repent and turn to God and start that relationship right here, right now, and you've never done that before, and today's the day, this Easter 2020, you're gonna be able to do that right here as we get ready to pray. And others of you, maybe you've already done that, but it's time for you to come before the Lord and just say, I entrust my spirit, my future, my marriage, my finances, my kids, 
my, you fill in the blank, into your hands. And you just give it over to him. Trust him today. The evidence is undeniable. God's given us this beautiful opportunity to put it all on him. Would you take full advantage of it right now? Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.